All right, good morning, church. Uh, as Chad just said, my name is Matt, and I get the honor to be the student pastor here at Vaughn Forest. I can't thank you enough for joining us this weekend here on campus. For some of you I know are watching online, there's so many different places you could be on this long weekend, and I'm glad that you chose to be here. But if you are watching online, be safe. I hope all of you enjoy your day off tomorrow because we love three-day weekends, and we thank the Lord for those. Uh, so let's go ahead and just dive into where we're going to be this morning. I think a lot of times, uh, sometimes when people preach whatever, you kind of work, you know, forwards towards something, almost kind of work backwards from this idea this morning. And here's the idea. The next generation matters. The next generation matters. And luckily, here at Von Forest, this principle is lived out and played out in almost everything that we do, more so than probably any other church that I have served at. That's through our VF Kids Ministry, where some of your kids are at right now, through our VF students, where our high school students are at right now, and through our VF Buddies program. This, these are the ways that we impact the next generation here, and so like, I know the kind of ministry and impact that we are having. It's because of you. The way that you give, and the way that you, a lot of you volunteer in those ministries, the way that you serve when, when called upon, the way that you pray over this, these particular groups of students and ministries, along that along with the leadership of people like Pastor Chad as our executive pastor of ministries and Kendall and Lindsay and Megan and the people that we have in leadership here, like this church is making a difference in the next generation. And so please hear me when I say thank you for what you do. Thank you for how you make the next generation a priority. There are some churches who don't have that mindset, and I really do feel like if our church, the global church, is going to make an impact in the next generation, it starts with how the church serves and gives and cares about the next generation. So thank you for what you do. So teaching this, I'm not teaching this from the perspective of, hey, we don't do this, and so I'm, we're, we're, this is why we should do it. No, this is why we already do it. So thank you for what you do, and this is why we make such a big impact on the next generation. And so to show you some of the things that your ministry and the way that you give and serve and care about, the way that has impacted the next generation is like this. These are some of the things that our student ministry got to do this summer. Here's the first thing. So at the end of May, we did what we call our color war. And it was all things out of school bash kind of style thing. It was, we had like over a hundred pounds of color powder and for like an hour straight, they just threw it at each other. Like there was no rhyme, there was no reason, there was no structure, just chaos. And it was a ton of fun. We had over 115 students at this event. I had a nine pound pressurized fire extinguisher full of red color powder. And some kids, if, if, if they're red, it was my fault. So that was, that was, that was on me. And I, I appreciate them playing in that. Another event that we did was called Mafia in the Dark. It was kind of like hide and go seek and glow in the dark freeze tag kind of thing. It was just a whole lot of fun. I had a lot of students be here for that. That was something fun we really did. Uh, our next picture was our camp trip, our trip to summer camp. We went to Anderson, South Carolina. Uh, we went to Crossroads Summer Camp that's put on by Clayton King Ministries. And this is what I would argue was the best week of my summer. We saw 13 students come to know the Lord. Three students say, hey, I feel like God is moving in my life to the point where I want to serve in vocational ministry. I want ministry to be my job. God is calling me to ministry. That's a huge deal that happened in the lives of this teenage, these teenagers. And because of you, they got to go to that. It was a lot of fun. Another fun event that we did. Slip and slide kickball. Now, if you feel like you 
want to break a hip or like break a knee or like leave an ACL out in the front, this is your event. This is fun. This is a whole lot of fun. It takes water, kiddie pools, and like all the dish soap that we could find. And we played slip and slide kickball out in the front of the church. It was a whole lot of fun. Nobody even got hurt. And it was a blast. One of the last things we did this summer was a couple of weeks ago here on campus, we did our uh, back to school bash. And it was Wild West theme with all of our students. Had a ton of kids there, had some giveaways. The biggest part was we had a mechanical bull here on campus. And we had a competition as to who could ride the bull the longest. And, and, the longest. and if they won, they won some AirPods. And uh, it, it got down to two kids who had ridden the bull the longest and they had tied. So we did a sudden death mechanical bull ride, right? And one kid got on the bull and won because he rode the bull for 43 seconds. 43 seconds. I, was, I, I almost was mesmerized as I watched this kid ride the bull for 43 seconds. It was insane. I, I didn't think that was going to happen at all. So that was a huge time that we had this summer. And so in those pictures, you see a lot of the fun things we get to do. Because the next generation matters, but most importantly, you, you saw a picture, and in that picture are 13 students who stepped from death to life because the next generation matters here at Vaughn Forest. That's a huge, huge deal. Yeah. So again, thank you for what you do. Thank you for how you give and how you volunteer and how you serve. So I'm not teaching this as, hey, this is what we don't do, so let's do it. I'm teaching as we already do this, so I just want to give us a couple of reminders of why it's so important, why we do this. The next generation matters. And so we say that phrase a lot, the next generation, so I want to make sure we get an idea of what the next generation is. Is that a particular group of people? Is that a, a more far-reaching term? So in order to figure out what the next generation is, let's figure out the current generation's. So currently there are five generations that are involved or serving or attending Vaughn Forest Church. And so we're going to talk through some of those so that we kind of know where we are and where we're going. The first one, the builder generation. The builder generation born 1929 to 1945. This is a generation that survived the Great Depression. The generation that fought in World War II. They came home and they, and they built a lot of the industrial backbone that is the United States of America. And they, had, they came home and they what they start doing? After the, with the World War II, they start building families. And after that, we see the boomer generation. In 1946 and 1964, they come, that, the, the builders come home and they start families. In this boomer generation, over 76 million people were born during this time. Just a huge influx of kids. A huge influx of families. Now, right now, the boomer generation is kind of in transition. The back end of this generation, because of COVID and everything, this generation's kind of transitioning to that, to that time of retirement. All your kids are grown up, and now they've got grandkids, and you're like, hey, let's move off and go to Florida, right? Like, that's what, that's what it is to be retired and whatnot. So the boomers are kind of in transition right now, but who did the boomers give birth to as, as the next generation? Gen X. Gen X, born 1965 to 1980. First known as the baby buster generation. Because after a generation that had 76 million kids, this generation did not have even near that many kids. Why? Well, there's a lot of political issues and cultural issues. One of the biggest things being Roe v. Wade and just a lot of different things developing that hindered this generation from having kids and kind of changing the traditional family value. Now, yes, this was a, set, this was a lot of the 70s generation, the hippies, as I say, or whatnot, and they did get the, it's just, again, shout out to Chad Boat. They got the original Star Wars, so this is a pretty good generation from what I hear, 
Uh, but they went through a lot of things such as Vietnam and, and, and Watergate and a ton of different political issues. And the next generation, millennials, 1981 to 1996. Now for a while, millennials were kind of the punchline of the joke. Like they were viewed as, hey, they're the youngest, they're the silliest, they're not so bright or whatever. But like, think about this. The oldest part of this generation turns 42 this year. They're not kids anymore. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're no longer the punchline of the joke. Millennials are now the largest generation in the American workforce today. Millennials have grown up. They've started families. And they've given birth to now what we have addressed and called the next generation, Gen Z. Gen Z, born 1997 to 2012. This is a generation that really only remembers the 21st century. Like for some of the back half of this millennial generation, we remember what it's like to have a cell phone, right? Or maybe some of you remember the car phone, all that stuff. I wasn't around then, but I've seen pictures and whatnot. Like, I, I, it's pretty cool. Had a big old phone in your car. But Gen Z, they only remember what it's like to have what? A smartphone. They don't remember a world without the internet, right? And that's really changed the way that they address things. Here's kind of a crazy stat. By 2025, which is not that far away, I know that sounds crazy, by 2025, millennials and Gen Z will make up 70% of the American workforce. They are what's next. But there are some challenges for the next generation. There are some serious things and issues facing Gen Z. By research, Gen Z, they say they're much less likely to read the Bible than other generations. They're watching a lot of their friends and their family deconstruct what it means to be a Christian. James Emery White, who's an author on The Next Generation, says about Gen Z that one of the most defining things about this generation is that it will be labeled as a post-Christian generation. What does that mean? That the majority of this generation do not have Christian values. They don't know what Christian values look like. They do not know what it means to actually follow Jesus. And not only do they not know what it means, they're openly against it. Shane Pruitt who is a next generation specialist for the North American Mission Board, says that if you took all of Generation Z and put them in another country, statistically, they would be looked at as an unreached people group. What does that mean? As a people who have not been approached with the gospel. A people who do not know who Jesus is. Now, I'm not saying all this to scare you. I'm not saying all this to intimidate you. I'm saying this so that we realize that there is a need in the next generation for Jesus. How also do I know this? At one point, as you look at this list, all of you fit in here somewhere. And at some point, you were the next generation coming up. And there was a need for Jesus in your generation. There's a need for Jesus in my generation. And there's a need for Jesus in Gen Z in the next generation. That's how I know that that's true. And then there's even, it's not even up here, there's Gen Alpha, which is kids who were born from 2013 on. And we don't even know all the stats about Gen Alpha and how they're going to be affected and what they're going to look like. It's going to be vastly different from any of these other generations. So what do we do about it? Well, here's the thing. God's invitation to us as the church, as the global church, his invitation to the next generation, it's not positional, but it's personal. What does that mean? Well, when we think about the people who have an impact on the next generation, we think about people whose job it is. Like parents. Yeah, you have an impact on the next generation. Teachers. My wife's a teacher. You have an impact on the next generation grandparents, right? Student pastors, children's pastors, social workers, whoever the case, like it's your job, you get paid, it's your vocation 
to work with the next generation. And so, yeah, I think that that's true. Like there's a calling to those things, but more so God's calling to, to lead the next generation. It's not just about what your job is. It's about how personal you get with them. It's about people who are burdened for the next generation. That all of us who follow Jesus are a part of the church family and God's called us to pour into the next generation. And as we've talked about, there's so many different lifestyles and rhythms that are in this room and a part of this church. People who worked 80 hours this week, people who are retired, people who are married or single, you have no kids, you have exactly three and a half kids. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is the 101st time you've been here. Whatever the case may be, God's calling you to have an impact in the next generation. Now, you may sit there and think that, hey, like this, you might have brought a friend today and you may say, hey, this is not usually the guy who's up here. So like, just bear with me. Like, I'm so sorry. Somebody else will be out here next week. It's just Labor Day. I get all of those things. But I'm so passionate about the next generation, about what's coming next. Like, what is the impact that we're leaving as we move on? What does God's word tell us about leading the next generation? Why should we care about the next generation? Why does that matter to us as followers of Jesus? Well, here's a couple of observations as why it matters. The first one, God's known for it. All throughout Scripture, God's referenced, especially in the Old Testament, as the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. What does that mean? Well, essentially they're saying God's the God of our forefathers. God's the God of my grandparents. God's the God of my parents. And that same God is the God that I'm following, the God that I'm serving. We just sang a song called the same God. And so what scripture is telling us, again, especially in the Old Testament, is that God was the same then, he's the same now, and he's going to be the same forever and a day, for all of eternity. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that the next generation needs to know about. God is known for caring about and being recognized and being associated with the next generation. So why should it matter to us? God's known for it. Second of all, the Bible prioritizes it. In Joshua chapter 4, in Psalm 78, Psalm 102, Psalm 145, Isaiah 59, these are just a couple of passages where Scripture makes a large impact and makes a big, like brings attention to the next generation. These passages bring this expectation and this emphasis that the idea that we as a church would create an environment that passes on our faith. In these passages, multiple times, God does something awesome. God comes through when there was no reason that he should come through. God provides when there was no way that he could provide. And when those things happen, the people of God make a monument, a, mor a memorial, an altar, saying that, hey, when the next generation sees here or comes by here or passes here, they'll see that God did this wonderful thing here. The faith, the things that God does, it's passed on from generation to generation, and we see that in Scripture. Scripture makes that a big deal. Scripture prioritizes it. God's known for it. And lastly, Jesus models it. A lot of times when we see pictures of Jesus and the disciples, or you've watched a movie about Jesus and the disciples, a lot of times you see them maybe as, you know, Peter, James, and John, or, and, and the rest of the disciples are like these 40-year-old balding guys with beards, and they're following Jesus historically that's not the case like historically the disciples are like teenagers some people argue that like john the disciple was as young as like eight or nine years old the people that jesus led 
the people that were closest to Jesus, they called Jesus teacher, rabbi, were like teenagers. And think about how crazy this is. Like God's son has come to earth to bring salvation for all of eternity. And you would think, yeah, God's got this all-star crew that's gonna be with him. Like God's got this guy and this guy and these leaders. And God's like, no, no. The people that I want the son of God surrounded with to do the ministry of the kingdom of God, a bunch of middle school boys. What sense does that make? It seems insane because it is, but these were the group of people that Jesus is empowering, that Jesus is leading, that are bringing God's kingdom to earth and doing ministry and casting out demons and healing and watching these miracles happen. Middle school boys. I said in the last service, I can barely get them to keep the food on their face (laughs) instead of on the floor let alone in their mouths. I'm just thankful they show up and have deodorant on. I know you are too. Let alone lead God's people and bring God's kingdom to earth. But these are the people that Jesus discipled for three years. Here's something that's important. The next generation is only a fraction of today's population, but it's 100% of the future. The next generation is only a small part of the population today, but it is 100% of who's coming next. If numbers tell us anything, if research has told us anything about the next generation, is that the church has got to find, the global church has got to find a way to engage them, to encourage them, to equip them so that they know who Jesus is, that they know the God of our fathers and our grandfathers, that they know the God of the Bible. And this should be a concern for our church, for the church, in a great, great way. So this morning, in Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at some verses that outline the ministry that Jesus has, is doing through these young people, through this next generation. And, and Mark chapter 6 is typically a passage where we look at and we see all these miracles that Jesus is doing. And they're awesome miracles, and they're great miracles, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and walks on water and all these things. And on the big level, that's exactly what's happening. But kind of more of a, on a micro level, I want to see how Jesus is equipping these next generation individuals for ministry. How Jesus is preparing them and how we can do the same. How can we prepare the next generation to move forward with strategy and with hope? How can we help lead the next generation? Well, the first thing is this, empower the next generation to lead. Empower the next generation to lead. Verse 30 of Mark chapter 6 talks about this. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. What had Jesus done? Where have they returned from? Well, doing ministry. Jesus had commissioned and sent them out again to go cast out demons, go do miracles, go meet the needs of the poor, go take care of the widows, go do all of those things. Again, it's like if we took a middle school boys and sent them out. It's like, hey, go do this stuff Jesus told us to do. That seems crazy. That seems nuts. But Jesus has commissioned these individuals to do this. And so rather than have the mindset that the next generation is too young or not ready or inexperienced enough, why don't we give them the experience? Why don't we give them opportunities to lead? Give them room to mess up. Give them room to not meet the mark so we can guide and disciple them through that. Today, so many youth in the next generation, so many students are walking away from their faith 
deconstructing their faith. Why? It's not because they don't know the God of the Bible. It's not because they don't have information about the gospel or who Jesus is. They have tons of information. It's the most informed generation that we've ever had. They have a smartphone and YouTube where they can look up anything on anything. It's not because they're not informed. They have all the information, but information alone is just, I mean, it may help you out in a trivia game, but that's really about it. Information by itself doesn't do anything, but information plus application equals transformation. What's the core value here at Vaughn Forest? And what that means is that we want to provide the stories of the Bible. We want to teach the next generation about what the gospel is, about who Jesus is. But we want to prepare them for ways that they can apply that in their lives. Because if we want their life to be changed for the gospel, to have an impact for the kingdom of God, application is where that's going to happen. Information plus application equals transformation. And that's our goal here at Vaughn Forest. We must empower the next generation with real roles of leadership. Yes, just like Jesus did with the disciples. Is that scary? Absolutely. Will it have a massive impact? I would argue yes. So we must empower them to lead. The second thing, we must develop compassion before criticism. Develop compassion before criticism. Let's read what Jesus has to say about this in Mark chapter 6. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped away from the boat, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. In this process of Jesus performing miracles, this crowds followed him, and they got so large that Jesus has to get into a boat and flow down the river a little bit so that he can have a view of all these people. And when he looked at all these people, he looks at them, and he has compassion on them. This word here, compassion, means like Jesus is physically moved and humbled at the display of these people, that they're lost, that they are sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you know anything about sheep. Sheep wander around, and they're not super smart. Jesus looks at this as, I am burdened for this group of people that I'm looking at. As people who follow Jesus, we should have the same idea when we look at the next generation. Say, hey, they need guidance. Man, I have compassion about them. I'm burdened that they need Jesus. They need to be taught so many things. Listen, let us not criticize the next generation where we have not empathized with the next generation. Jesus was moved by the people that he saw here. Listen, this generation statistically is known, just Gen Z, is known for how anxious it is. It's one of the most anxious generations statistically that we have ever seen. Suicide rates are crazy high amongst the next generation. They're depressed. They're lonely. They feel like they have no hope. And when I talk to students and I hear them talk about these things, what I hear from them is not that, hey, nobody knows that we're messed up. Listen, everybody knows that they're messed up. Everybody knows that they don't have it all figured out. They just want to know they're not the only ones. They just want to know that there's somebody there who cares about them and will listen to them. That will show compassion before they criticize. And I'm not saying they don't need criticism. I'm not saying that they don't need someone to build them up with the truth of what's right and what's wrong. But they need to feel like they're loved. They need authenticity. May we not be critical before we are compassionate. The next thing, so how do we fix this? How do we, how do we change this narrative? How do we show them compassion? We invite them into proximity. We bring them into our lives. And the church word we use for this is discipleship. And what I believe is that discipleship happens through osmosis. It happens through what you absorb. A, a good way to understand this is like this. Again, like all of us yesterday, 
I hope that you sat around and you watched all the football that you could watch, right? Like, I am so glad that it is football season back in the South. Like, it is just the most wonderful time of the year, right? Football, cheese dip, buffalo dip, all the dips, right? Like, football comes out, we just bring out every dip imaginable. When you had kids, and let's say you're an Alabama fan, if your kid had come out and said War Eagle, you would have been devastated, right? If you're an Auburn fan, if your kid had come out and said Roll Tide, you would have been broken, like just so upset, just would have ruined you. Like, where did I fail as a parent? Like, I don't know. Like, I... Essentially, whatever your kid sees you cheering for, guess what they're going to be? An Auburn fan, an Alabama fan, a fan of this team or that team. Like, hopefully, none of us sat down with your two-year-old and said, hey, we're only wearing orange and blue in this house, and if not, you can get on the road. And if you had that conversation with your kid, we need to have a different talk, okay? They cheer for what you cheer for. Why? They're moved by the things you're moved for. They care about the things that you care about. They shape themselves after the way that you shape themselves. What does this mean? If you're following Jesus, guess what? Your kids will do the same. It may not be perfect, Actually, here's a disclaimer. It will not be perfect. It will be messy, but they care about the things that you care about. And maybe it's not your kids. Maybe you don't have any kids. Maybe it's just at work and God's called you to, to disciple and bring someone into proximity, someone in your life who's in the next generation who has no idea what's happening in their life. They have no idea how to live, how to do this, how to do that, and yet you've got a lot of knowledge. You can share that with them. What does Jesus say about this? How does he train the disciples in this? When it was late in the day, his followers, the disciples, came to Jesus and said, no one lives in this place and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the countryside and towns around here to buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. The disciples come to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, um, there's all these people here and they can't sleep outside and like they need to go home and they probably haven't eaten today. So you just send them on their way and they can get something to eat when we come back and start this over tomorrow. Jesus says, you go find them something to eat. You go fix this. And I can imagine disciples saying, well, you fix it. No, I'm not fixing it. You fix it. No, I'm not fixing it. You go do it. They're given this problem and Jesus says, hey, you, I'm empowering you to lead this. I'm inviting you into, you go do the ministry. You go find an answer to this problem. And guess what? They didn't bring the best solution to Jesus. Often, when someone, like, a, if, if with your kid or grandkid or whatever, like, they want to come and help you do this particular project or help you clean or help you do this, and often we just have the, hey, just listen, you go dig a hole, I'll handle this, and it'll be so much better if you're not around. They're honestly more of a nuisance than they are help. Everybody's been there. Jesus, in this text, with the disciples, they probably couldn't bring the solution to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people it probably would have been easier for Jesus just to do it. But he sends them out. Why? Jesus seems to be more concerned with establishing future leaders and establishing the ministry here than the efficiency of the project. We must be a generation that doesn't just tell the next generation what to do and hope that they do it. Tell them to believe it and just hope they believe it. But more so, show them what it, what it looks like to live out my faith in a day-by-day -day closeness within proximity. And that may include the nitty-gritty of your life. That may include the mundane. But the next generation just wants people who are authentic and invite them into closeness in their life. And maybe you can't do that. 
Maybe all you can do for the next generation is pray. Guess what? That's huge. That makes them feel cared for. In order to achieve a supernatural outcome with the next generation, we need to fight these battles and invite and partner with a supernatural power. And that's the power of prayer. So let us come before God and, and on behalf of the next generation, intercede for them, pray over them, be for them. And one of the bravest prayers you might could pray for the next generation is, God, send someone into my life that I can disciple. That may be dangerous for you, but it's something that you can do. The last thing, after we've empowered them to lead, that we've developed compassion over criticism, that we've brought them into our lives and brought them to proximity, prayed over them, we rescue and restore them. And model that after the way that Jesus has rescued and restored us from our sins. Let's see what Jesus says about this. So Jesus asked them, how many loaves of bread do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus told his disciples to have the people sit in groups on the green grass, so they sat in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he thanked God for the food, and he divided the bread and gave it to his followers for them to give to the people. Then he divided the two fish and five loaves, and all the people ate and were satisfied. And the followers filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. The disciples bring back the best that they could find to Jesus. Knowing that it was not going to be enough. Knowing that it was not going to cut it. And yet Jesus takes this little Jewish lunchable of five loaves and two fish and feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people and there's 12 baskets left over. The disciples were given this task, given this problem. They couldn't fix it. They couldn't figure it out. And Jesus says, hey, I'll take the best that you've got and I'll restore it. I'll redeem it. Is that not true of our lives? That we bring God all our broken pieces and all our nastiness and brokenness and all the hopelessness that we have and all my sin and we throw it at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, can you do something? And he goes, I can absolutely do something. As the band comes out, this is, this is the challenge. Jesus is making something great out of a bleak situation. He takes what's small and turns it into a miracle. The challenge is, are we willing to do the same with the next generation? Do, do you know how I know that all these things are true? That rescuing and re the redemption that's modeled by Jesus, that if it happens in the next generation, it'll change somebody's life. You know, I know that's true. It happened in my life. I remember when I was 19 years old, 18 years old. I'm just about to graduate high school. And I hit this realization that I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next with my life. Like, I have no clue what's supposed to happen next. What job am I going to have? What degree am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to marry? In the middle of all those normal questions, all the, these different factors were happening in my life. My parents had just got a divorce, and that wasn't supposed to happen to me. Everything I thought it was my fault. Like I, did, I was navigating through all these really difficult things in my life, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had no idea. I didn't really know what it, what it meant to follow Jesus. I had a lot of information, but I didn't really have the application, so there was no transformation in my life. And I would show up at this little church that had its own issues. It had one full-time staff member, and it was the youth pastor. His name was John. And John texted me and bugged me and called me 
So I agreed one day, I said, John, yeah, I'll go out to lunch with you if you promise you'll leave me alone. And from then, everything in my life, all the hard things, all the difficult things, I just threw up on the table of that Mexican restaurant in Gadsden, Alabama. And John, for the first time, listened to me. I felt compassion. I didn't feel criticism. And over time, he brought me into his life, into the lives of his kids, into his home to see what it looked like. And as we were working through the issues that I was having, like I felt God moving in my life and calling me to serve in ministry. And so to say I would not be here first and foremost because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemption of my sins, but second of all, for people like John, who empowered me to lead, to intern at his little church, that gave me the start in ministry to figure out mostly what not to do, and, but figure out maybe a few things that would work, a few things that would impact the next generation. For all of us in this room, there's probably somebody in your life. Maybe it's a, a parent, a grandparent. There's somebody in your life that was a John to you, that when you had nobody else to, for you there in your life, when you were struggling with all these issues and you had all these questions and you know what to do, how to do it, up from down, that you had someone step in and say, hey, I'll love you enough to help you out. I saw Jesus through him. That when I had no idea where to go, that when I knew that I was dead in my trespasses, that Jesus was there to rescue and redeem and restore me. And that was modeled. You can do the same for the next generation. Essentially, I tell my student leaders this all the time. In the darkest point of your teenage years, when you're 13, 14 years old, maybe 18 years old, whatever, will you be to the next generation who you needed somebody to be when you were at that point? Who did 13 or 14 year old you need? Will you be that person to the next generation? Will you model Jesus to the next generation? The next generation matters. The next generation is just a fraction of the population but it is 100% of our future. God has a plan and a purpose for the next generation and you have a part to play in that. Our church does a fantastic job of doing that. What is God calling you to? To embrace people to lead, to develop compassion over criticism, to invite them into your life, invite them to proximity, where you can redeem and restore them, not for your sake, but for the sake of Jesus Christ who can change their life. Let's pray. So Jesus, I do thank you for who you are. God, I'm thankful that you have redeemed and restored me, that you've redeemed and restored us. God, give us moments where we can empower the next generation to lead. God, convict us and break our hearts for what breaks yours so that we can see people with compassion before criticism. God, put someone into our lives that we can bring into proximity into our families, into our life to show them what it looks like to follow you. God, I pray that you will give us a chance to redeem and restore them, not by our power or by our might, but only, only through your power and your might and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for redemption. And this is asking your name. Amen.